Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Good morning, everybody. Really kind introduction that keeps me from having to say, you may be wondering who this tall, pudgy, good-looking man is up here. Hey, way to go for being in church on Memorial Day weekend. Would you believe that this, you probably would believe, this is actually the lowest attended church day in all of Christianity. Isn't it odd? The Memorial Day in particular. So uh, glad you're here. Glad Pastor Ryan and Lauren are getting to get away. Uh, This is our first time as a family. Crystal and I are the pinch-hitting worship leader and the pinch-hitting preacher are married. And so uh, we got to be here with our family today. And it's our first time back since the day Pastor Ryan and Lauren were voted in. And so we've been looking forward just to coming back and seeing all these uh, good-looking faces again and seeing some new faces as well. So this is good to be together. Amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 6. I want to talk to you today about, um, it's really a passage of scripture that probably during his earthly ministry were the most controversial words that Jesus said. Really. And whenever we get into it, you're going to see why. As I say John chapter 6, you might already be thinking, "Ah, I know where you're going. And so uh, before we get into something that's incredibly controversial, I want to talk to you about something that we can all agree on. All of us, no matter what your age or what your stage, no matter what your ethnicity, your culture, no matter what your religious belief, if you're a Christian here today, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, no matter what, there is something that we can all agree on. And it's important to agree on something because we're going to get into some controversial stuff, okay? And what we can agree on is this, bread is good. Amen? Bread is good. Bread has always been good. So we're going to talk about Jesus being the bread of life today, but we, we, we have this great thing to look at in terms of bread because most of us could live off of bread. And most of us think of bread whenever we think of certain places. If I say Olive Garden, you think of bread. If I say, say Outback Steakhouse, you think of their bread. If I say to you, oh, you need to go on the keto diet, you're going to say, oh, I don't want to do that. I'll have to give up bread. Bread bread is a big deal. Bread has always been a big deal. Bread, there are fossilized loaves of bread in the British Museum that are thousands of years old. Across cultures and across time, bread has always been fantastic. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, enough with the bread, but not yet. Not yet enough of the bread. So bread is so good that whenever we do, like I said, want to go on some sort of diet, it's assumed that we're eating so much bread that it's a guideline of pretty much any diet that you have to cut out the bread. So a few years ago, we had this broad idea of going on a Whole30. And you may, you may know, you may have tried the Whole30 before. It is 30 days of, well, no bread to be sure. And so one of the things, whenever parents get the, the broad idea to revolutionize the house diet, it's the kids that suffer. And so we are on day three or four of the Whole30. And my youngest daughter, I got her permission to tell this story so she won't be embarrassed today. 
But my youngest daughter comes bolting into the room well before it's time to get up because we're still sleeping and we're still sleeping hard. Our bedroom door flies open and she is in tears. And we said, honey, what is going on? And she said, last night I had a dream. You were eating bread. And I asked for some and you wouldn't give me any bread. Bread is good. Bread is good. So we pick up today in this passage of scripture, it's after Jesus has done one of his most um, famous and most preached miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. And he fed these thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. This is what he, this is what he multiplied under the power of God. Didn't just stretch it out, but made more and fed thousands of people. And what we know from the book of Matthew is that 5,000 was just a way of counting this massive crowd. Women and children, families are there. And so whenever they said, how do we get a handle on how many people they're counting? They just started counting men. Let's just count the dads and the men here. So who knows how many people Jesus really fed? And so where we're going to pick up in our scriptures, this is actually the morning after he has just fed 5,000 people. And so what happened, if you remember, after he did this miracle, I mean, in the midst of it, people are looking, remember the Jews are an oppressed people group then and often now. And so even back then, they're looking at him doing this miracle and they're thinking to themselves, this might be the guy. This might be the Jewish Messiah, this king that is coming. And he was, but not in the way and not in the timing that they thought. And so they see him multiplying this food. And the scripture says they tried to forcefully make him king. They round him up and they're like, you're our guy. If you can do this, you can handle anything else we might have come our way. And so it says that Jesus actually withdrew from them instead of letting them forcefully make him king at that time. Jesus's path to the throne was through the cross. Jesus wouldn't take authority on earth without doing what it takes to be able to forgive you and I so that we can live with him forever in his kingdom. That's what he wanted. And so the pain and everything that he had to go through was his chosen and willing path. And so at the time they're trying to make him king and he just, he leaves, he goes up a mountain. And you remember the story, the disciples end up leaving in a boat that night, and this is the night that Jesus walks to them on the water. And so these thousands of people have been there, they've seen this miracle, Jesus leaves them, the disciples leave, and so they say, well, I guess there's no more bread right now, we'll just all go back home. And the next morning, they come back. So John chapter 6, we'll pick up in verse 22, it says this, the next day, The crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew that there had only been one boat. They also knew that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. So remember, Jesus goes up a mountain, the disciples leave in a boat, and so they come back thinking the disciples left, but Jesus was still here-ish, and so they're looking for him. Because why? Because bread. Verse 23. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, notice what they ask him and notice what Jesus says. When did you get here? He says, I assure you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. This morning, 
I pray that you would open these scriptures to us, that you would help us to, to see and receive the point that there are things that we think we need. There are things that we wear ourselves out chasing, but you are it. You are the answers to the deepest desires of our heart. Lord, let us see you this morning as being greater than we've ever thought. Help us see you as you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So they come and they ask Jesus one question and he gives them another answer. This is a moment very like any of you who are parents or any of you who have been kids before, all of us. You know whenever your kid walks up and says something like this, Mom, have I ever told you you're the best mom ever? You know that whatever that question is about, it's not about whether they've ever told you you're the best mom ever. And that is why when they ask that question, you say, what do you want? want? Exactly. (laughs) What do you want? Because I know that you don't want me to remember all the times you've told me I'm the best mom ever. So what do you want? And so whenever they come, they remember, they've gone looking for Jesus in one place. They've gotten in a boat. They've crossed the Sea of Galilee. It's like an eight-mile you know, lake inside of a dormant volcano. So they cross the Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus. And whenever they finally find him, they say, Hey, man, when did you get here? And Jesus goes, You're looking for my bread. You're not looking for me. First point this morning on your outline is this. Why you look for Jesus will determine what you find. Why you look for Jesus will determine what you find. Whether you find comfort or conviction, frustration or encouragement, answers or questions, why you look for Jesus will determine what you find. So they asked him a question and he spoke to their heart. And we'll just hit the second blank while we're here. God knows and cares about the motives of our hearts. Have you ever heard the phrase, I know, or have you ever said the phrase, maybe maybe a lot of us have at some point, uh, I know I'm not living right, I know I'm not doing right, but God knows my heart. But so often that's the problem. Like God knows our heart. He sees through the smoke screens that we put up. He sees through our rationalizations. He sees through our mixed motives. And so the good thing is, though, as well, because he is so insightful, but he's incredibly compassionate, whenever we come to him asking a question, he will give us the answer that we need. Maybe not always the answer that we were wanting, but the answer that we need. And so when he says, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate some of my epic bread... He's actually, he's disappointed in the reason that they're pursuing him. And what you're going to see in this conversation is he keeps on elevating the conversation and constantly he's trying to pull them away from bread to himself, away from what they think they need, away from what they're building their lives around at this moment. And he's continually pointing to himself. And I'm kind of thankful. I'm very thankful that they didn't get it at the time because we often don't get it either. And so we see again and again Jesus explaining more and more of who he is, saying, I'm who you're really looking for. So Jesus says, you're, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the bread. So whenever Jesus did this miracle, it wasn't simply to feed them, it was a sign. And how many of you know signs are always pointing to something other than themselves? 
if this coming weekend, you know, Taylor Swift was in Nashville or whoever, and you want to make this epic road trip for you and your spouse, you and your family, we're going to just spend time on the road. We're going to go to this incredible concert. Whenever you start seeing signs for Nashville, say around Memphis, about 200 miles away from Nashville, you're not going to pull over at the sign and say, praise God, we made it. Let's have a great weekend. Signs always point beyond themselves. And so Jesus did this sign of feeding the 5,000, but it wasn't just because he wanted to, he, he wasn't looking to start a miracle mobile food pantry. It was to reveal himself and who he was to the people that he was, that he was blessing. In fact, both of the signs that happened the day before, both Jesus multiplying bread and walking on the water, they were signs basically saying the things that had happened in Jewish history. Remember, Moses calls down bread from heaven. God works through him and feeds the Israelites with manna for years and years. Whenever Moses is leading the Exodus out of Egypt, uh, God works through him and exercises power over the water, parts the sea, and they walk across. And in this one day, Jesus shows an even greater manifestation of that power through him. So he's giving them a sign. And just like in the Exodus through Egypt, whenever God did those things for them, it was to glorify himself and to bring people to himself, not just to bless him. Jesus is saying, I didn't do that just to thrill you, just to bless you. And so Jesus tells them, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. How many of you know that not even the best bread stays good forever? Not any food. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that brings eternal life. We know there is no earthly food that doesn't perish. Everything molds eventually. Even honey would get ancient over time. Something would happen to it. And so Jesus is saying, look beyond this. Don't just wear yourselves out for this. And they were working hard for this bread. Remember this morning, they have already been on one side of the Sea of Galilee. And now they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, all in search of more of this blessing that Jesus was giving. So they're wearing themselves out for this food. They're thinking, if he has all the food that we'll ever need, let's stick with this guy. But Jesus is saying, you're not looking for me. You missed the sign. I did it for a reason, but you've missed the reason. You want more bread, but that's not really what you need. So my question to us this morning would be, what is it that we're wearing ourselves out for right now that we're believing that if we get it and when we get it, it will be everything we need for final and ultimate happiness? could be a financial status, it could be a career status, a promotion, could be a spouse, could be the baby, could be whatever. And, but whenever we look for something and we chase it down and we're pinning all our hopes on this life stage, this thing, we will finally and ultimately be happy. Jesus would say, you're chasing the blessing, but you've missed the, the blesser the giver of these good things. Any of you ever read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity? 
It's, really, it's a really, really good book. It's had a profound effect on so many people. But C.S. Lewis is writing on just this longing in the human heart. Have any of you ever experienced just a restlessness? Things are good, and you don't have a reason to be discontent, but there's always something here that's just, just more longing. You get there, and it's good, but now you're looking past it like, what's, what's next? So he talks about this restlessness in the human heart, and I want to read you this quote, and it's also in your bulletin if you have it. It'll probably be up here as well. But this is what he says. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays, vacations, or learned careers. He says, I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in reality. And this is my favorite sentence of the whole quote. I think everybody knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent and the chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. C.S. Lewis is saying it's the human experience here that you build yourself around graduation or just something, but it will always evade you just barely. Jesus is saying, don't wear yourself out for that. Work for the food that gives eternal life. And so they say this, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, remember, they asked one question, Jesus points to himself. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, Believe in the one he has sent, who is Jesus. And so he points to himself. These signs are all about me. It's what I'm giving to you. And we know in hindsight that the rest of scripture shows us that the invitation to believe in Jesus, he's not just talking about the hand raised, praise God, I go to heaven. It's a whole, it's a whole life that is built on trusting him. It's an everyday thing that rearranges every opportunity and every single priority. And so Jesus is saying, this is the work of God, orient yourself around me. And what's interesting is the people listening to him, they don't say what maybe they should say and what I hope I would, they don't say like, what does that even mean? If you're chasing bread or chasing food, and then we, you, know, you get to the food truck and they say, don't go for street tacos that satisfy now, get the street tacos that offer eternal life. Would you not say, what are you, what are you talking about? And so, but, but they're so focused on the thing that they're chasing that they're looking past some incredible things that Jesus is saying, and that's why he's going to keep on escalating the conversation to get to their heart. They're so wrapped up in what they think they need that they're ignoring the answer that's being offered. So, verse 30. 
What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. They're referring to this, this manna that was given while Moses was with their ancestors. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Again with the bread. Again with the bread. And side note here, what did Jesus feed the 5,000 with? Five loaves and two fish. No one is saying, does the Lord have any more tilapia? That's the power of bread. No one is even thinking about the fish. That is an unimportant joke to make at a very serious time, and I am sorry. But they're saying here, what sign will you give us? They are there because he had given them a sign. He fed 5,000 and who knows how many more people the day before, but they're, they're, they're people. And like so many of our human hearts, always demanding a little more evidence before we'll trust a little more, a little more. Maybe if you would answer this prayer, maybe if you would do this, maybe if I could read this, maybe it just always a reason why they won't quite trust in the one who's offering them life. And so they say, what sign will you do? Jesus had just given incredible signs. And so third thing is this this morning. If we treat Jesus like a genie, we will miss him as our Lord. We treat Jesus like a genie. Genies are back right now because the movie Aladdin's getting remade, right? I don't know if any of you have seen that, but, but you remember the, the whole concept of the genie and the lamp. And I haven't seen Aladdin in decades, but something to the effect of this powerful being comes, but it immediately becomes about what this powerful being can do for Aladdin. It's not about the powerful being in himself. With Jesus, so often we come to him and we're simply wondering what is it that we can, what he will do. And so that's what they're doing. He's offering them himself. He's saying, everything you are looking for is me. I am here. And they're looking over his shoulder saying, but bread. But what about, yeah. And just always, always looking past the Lord. I realize it's like a very preachery thing to say. Jesus is it. Ah, I get it, Lennon. Jesus saves. Jesus is it. It's a very preachery thing to say. Very easy for you to say, Mr. Bible reader. But think about this. Doesn't, don't you hope that God can deliver on something this world obviously hasn't? Don't you hope that if, if you're lacking in, sense of satisfaction in your relationship with God. Don't you hope that there's something that can be recalibrated there? Because if it's not him, what else is there in your life that God could bless you with that cannot and will not be taken away with over time? The house will get old. The relationship will have its frustrating stages. The children, it's not their job to make you ultimately happy. The job will have its, its tough days. I hope that God can deliver on what he's promising, and he does, because nothing else is, nothing else is meant to. A healthy body is sold out and healthy as you may want to be, will age, will begin to break down. There's nothing God could bless you with other than himself that will not fade with time. 
So, again, Jesus pointing back to himself, and we're going to begin to wrap up here. He says to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven, for the bread of God is the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, Jesus pointing to himself. And then they said, sir, give us this bread. Yes, show me the money. That's what I'm talking about, this bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And that's the next point this morning. Jesus offers himself as the answer to our greatest hunger and our deepest thirst. So we talked about C.S. Lewis saying that there are longings we have that this world will never satisfy. And he he goes on, and, and this isn't in a quote or anything, I'll just explain it to you. He says there are three different ways we try to deal with the restlessness of our heart, with the the hungry nature that can never be satisfied. He said one is the fool's way. And the fool's way always thinks if I could just do one more thing, if I could get one more degree, if I could get to the right neighborhood, if I can get my kids to the right public school, if I can, uh, maybe, our, maybe a, a fool is, is always risking and is always chasing. They're so unstable. Maybe I should have an affair. I know I've been married for 23 years, but, but maybe she would make me happy. Maybe that's the whole deal. Maybe I should have ended up with her. Maybe I should have taken this path. And so C.S. Lewis says the fool will respond to the hunger in the heart by always wearing themselves out to try to fill it with something else. And then he says, whoa, good catch. Then he says, there's also the disillusioned person. The disillusioned person just gets jaded. You know what? Life is hard and then you die. That's what it is. And so the disillusioned person might look at someone who's excited about marriage and say, ah, it's going to be harder than you think. Someday you'll realize that and then you'll be like me, just not finding joy anywhere. The disillusioned person is sort of the Eeyore of life. And then C.S. Lewis says, and then there's just the Christian way of seeing the pleasures of the world, which is thank God for the good things he give, but I don't expect the good things to deliver like God can. We're grateful, but the fact that our heart can never fully be satisfied, C.S. Lewis says, is an indication that it wasn't meant to be fully satisfied in this world. And so instead of looking past Jesus to the stuff, maybe we can look past the stuff to Jesus, to want him. Let me take you through a few more verses and then we'll close. Remember, we said Jesus keeps on elevating his tone. Now it gets real. So Jesus said to them, verse 53, I assure you that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Remember, I said it was controversial and hard. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I in him. Just as the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your fathers ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. 
Therefore, many of his disciples heard it and said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, said to him, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Talking about post-death and his resurrected body, him ascending to heaven. Jesus says this, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen guys, I'm obviously not endorsing cannibalism. He's saying, I'm not really talking about taking a bite out of my bicep. He's saying these words are spirit and life. What he is saying though, is he's saying, you need me more than you need anything else. You need me more than you need food. You need me more than you need water. Now, of course, Jesus cares about your needs. Of course, he cared about their hunger. That's why he had done the miracle the day before. But if we ever... Here's a sign that we're looking past Jesus. That those of us who are Christians, our joy and happiness are totally based on the status of some situation in our life. Something that we're praying for. Something that we're wanting him to do. That's how we know if we're looking past him. Jesus would say, a full belly will do you no good if you have a hollow soul. A big house will do you no good if you have an empty heart. That's the last point. Jesus is always greater than we know him to be. So the scripture goes on and says, from that moment, many of Jesus' disciples turned away. Like there are people who had been following him that were just like, you know what? That's, that's a little crazy town, the level that you're taking things through. You want to give us some encouragement, your best life now. You want to do a few miracles, all that kind of stuff. That's all good. But to tell us that we need you more than anything else, that we have to feed on you, that's a little too much and people bolt. And so Jesus turns to his 12, those who walked closely with him and who stuck it out. And Jesus says, do you want to leave too? And this is what they said. Where would we go? Because you're the one that has the words of life. So the big point of the message, totally novel. We really need Jesus. We need him more than we need anything else. That if joy is lacking in my heart and my walk with God, I'm probably looking beyond him to something else. I'm probably expecting something of my wife, of my kids, of my job, of whatever, that that was never meant to give. I need Jesus to be everything he offers to be. That's the only way I can be who he wants me to be. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we do look at this passage, very tough one. I pray that you would make it real to us. I pray that you would drive it home to us. This is difficult. Feeding on your flesh. Lord, you are saying that you want us to know we need you more than we need anything else.
So God, I pray that you would bring things to the forefront of our hearts and minds right now. Maybe we're not wearing ourselves out for food because we're very blessed and we have so many of our basics taken care of. But what else is it? What else are we trying to put on the throne of our hearts? Who are we expecting to deliver that never can? What, do we, what is the thing we think if we got it, we would finally be happy and this restlessness would, would finally leave? I pray, Lord, that this morning you would remind us of who you intend to be to us so that we would never expect things out of anyone else that you did not intend for them to give. pray you would stir our desire for you. And as we close, we put our eyes and our hearts on you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.